You are listening to the official Acts 2 podcast. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.acts2orlando.com. Awesome. So I want to start off with a, uh, a story slash joke <coughs> with a disclaimer that I'm terrible at these. But I want to be cool like Jay. And so I'm going to try one <coughs> that Jay reminded me of. <laughs> And so it's not an Andy joke or story, but um, <clears throat> how many golfers do we have in the room? One. Great. Um, disc golf? Has anybody ever played that? It's where you throw a Frisbee at a basket, and it's awesome and fun. All right, so that's interesting. No golfers in the room. So I'm not a golfer either. I've tried, okay? I have gone out there to the driving range, right? For all of you that don't know what that is, it's a big open field that you hit balls into, just repeatedly. And um, so most people, when they play golf, the ball flies in the air, right? Mine rolls on the ground every time, no matter what I do. And so in golf, there's several different clubs that you have. You can go from the driver all the way down to the pitching wedge, right? And then you have your irons, and it's the nine, eight, seven, six, five, four so forth. And the, the pitch is different on, on them. So the pitching wedge is like this. It's like impossible to not hit the ball in the air unless you're Andy. <laughs> and so I'm out there on the driving range with every club possible trying to hit the ball in the air. And everybody feels so bad for me, they try to help me. Right? I'm out there because I have friends that play golf and I'm like, I want to be cool like them. I want to be able to go hang out. Also, it's just kind of peaceful out there, right? the golf course. And I was like, this thing, this could be fun. Every single person tried to help me. And they said, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. So good luck. But <laughs> at, um, at nicer golf courses, they have a country club. Has anyone ever been to a country club? Okay, there we go. People are like, yeah, I went there and ate. There's a golf course there. Yes, there is. And um, most of the time they have a locker room, right? a locker room, a place where you go and change after doing something that causes you to sweat or something like that. And so there, hello, Juliet. Um, The story is this, in the locker room, right? There's a um, a phone rings, guy walks over, picks it up, hello. On the other end, there's a lady and she sits there and she's saying, hey, I was having car trouble and I ended up at a dealership, right? Because that's what you do when you have car trouble. You go to a dealership. And you get to the dealership and she says, so I really just came in here to get my car fixed, but they're, they're talking me into buying this new car. What do you think? And he goes, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Go for it. She goes, really? And he's like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Do it. And she's like, yeah, but they're trying to get me to upgrade to this package. Get whatever you want. You deserve it. And then she says, okay, awesome. Hangs up the phone, clicks. The guy sets the phone down, looks at everybody else in the locker room and goes, does anybody know whose phone that is? Nah. So there's a story for you. <clears throat> I don't think I butchered it too bad, but um, I think the funnier part was my balls not going in the air. So, well, today we're going to talk about a fun thing called hope. Has anyone seen her? Um, I know, I'm trying, I'm reaching, I'm trying hard. But um, yeah, so we're going to talk about hope today. It's a, it's a topic that is brought up a lot this time of year. And if you look at the Advent calendar, typically it's the first one, right? Yes. yes. All right, so disclaimer, I hang out with youth, with students. I ask them questions, they answer. So that's the expectation for you guys as well. If you ever see me pause and go, I would like for you to respond to me, because that is when... I thrive. But um, so I grew up in Georgia. Do we have anyone else in here from the wonderful state of Georgia? A couple of us. It's a beautiful state. Very northeast Georgia. People say, where are you from, Andy? I go, do you know where Helen, Georgia is? How many people know where Helen, Georgia is? I grew up about 15 minutes from there and did everything I did to avoid it. (laughs) We knew the way to drive around it to go where we needed to go. But um, so I grew up about 30 minutes from North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and uh, beautiful country, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And you could see them from afar. And we have hills. It's crazy. We go up there with Everett, and he run, my parents have a hill in their, in their yard, right? You know, a slope that goes down a great distance. And um, he, uh, he doesn't know what to do sometimes. He's like, what do I do with this? 
I've grown up on flat ground. But I grew up up there, went to high school up there, middle school, elementary school, preschool, you name the schools, I went there. And in the state of Georgia, they have something called the Hope Scholarship. I think in Florida, they call it Bright Futures. So same thing, right? Except they call it the Hope Scholarship. And so beginning in your high school career, everything is about the Hope Scholarship because you must have hope when you go to college, right? Otherwise, there's no hope. And, um, and so when you begin your high school career, it's like the focus. It's like, you've got to get good grades to get the Hope Scholarship. And when I was in, it was just one level. You know, if you had a 3.0 or above, you got the scholarship. Now it's like, if you have this GPA, then you get this amount of money. This GPA, you get this amount. So they tier it now. So you can't just be like, all I got to do is make B's and I'm good. But, um, so that was the, the focus in high school. And so you have to have 3.0, right? So you work hard for that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You guys are getting it. You're doing good. So I cruised through high school with a 3.96 GPA. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it was fun, but it was hard. And so at the end, I knew, okay, I'm going to have the Hope Scholarship when I go to college, right? So I worked really, really hard to get the Hope Scholarship. And then I go to college, right? And the name of the game in college is keep the hope scholarship, right? And so you begin to figure out if I make an A, I'm good. If I make a B, I'm bordering right here. If I make a C, I'm in trouble. So anytime you make a C, you have to make an A to balance it back out to the 3.0, right? And so you learn that math because you must keep hope. If you lose it, it's quite sad because then you say, I have lost hope, which is such a sad statement, but it rings true. <laughs> if you're in college, those bills are steep, right? And the moment you lose Hope Scholarship, your parents look at you and go, well, what are you going to do now? I did not lose Hope Scholarship. <laughs> Just don't worry. I kept it. But um, I, I, I think I had a 3.89 when I graduated from college. Um, thank you. It was fun. Nobody even cares about it now. Um, <laughs> Never heard of a job interview where they say, what was your GPA in high school? What was your GPA in college? I don't know. <laughs> I remember. But um, not everybody does. But here's the point. You ready for this? <clears throat> this same mindset gets carried into the way we view hope in life. Because first, I had to work for hope. Then I had to work to keep it. And if I ever have to work for something to get it, and then I have to work for something to keep it, there's a real good chance that there's a I could lose it as well. We've carried this mindset into how we view hope and how we view hope in the way that Jesus has set it forth for us. And so I think, you know, if it's something that, like I said, if it's something that we have to work to obtain, then it's something we can also lose. Does anybody in here want to lose hope? No, right? It's not even possible for us to lose it. Hope is often something that we really strive for, right? It's something that it's like, I have to work for this. I have to do all these things so that I have hope in situations that I find myself in. But we forget that hope is meant for us to rest in. It's not meant for us to work for something, but rather it's meant for us to receive. It's meant for something for us to have and to be able to just simply rest in the fact that we have hope. And that's such a promise that we get to hold on to and so <clears throat> this whole process in my mind began, we are in our student leadership meeting and we've got six amazing student leaders, four of whom are present in here today. And um, one, two, three, and Kalen, I don't know where he went, but he's running sound today and so he's amazing. But, um, but yeah, we were in a meeting with them and, and Danielle brought up this fact and she said, guys, you have to be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that you have. It's 1 Peter 3, 15, I believe it is. And um, <clears throat> yeah, right there. And so they, we, we said that to the students and I took a, I didn't take a step back, but in my mind, I was like, huh, what is the hope that we have? And then it goes even, because, you know, originally when I read that and how I've read it in the past many times has been this concept of, I have to be ready to tell people about Jesus, Right? And that's so true and that's so good, but there's so much more to it, right? 
There's so much more to the fact that this is something more than just telling people about Jesus. It's telling people about what Jesus has done for me. It's telling people about what hope lies within me, what hope is found within me. And so it's a step back from just simply giving a cookie cutter answer to sitting there and saying, no, this is the hope that's within me. This is the hope that I have that's different from the hope that they have, right? So often it gets boiled down to wishful thinking. And that's just not good. A uh, definition of hope that the world loves to say, and it's going to be up there, but hope is commonly used to mean a wish. <laughs> it's, the sh- its strength is in the strength of the person's desire. That does not sound like hope, right? <laughs> that sounds like having to work really, really hard to hope that something happens. And so when you boil that down, it really boils down to simply wishful thinking. And so this is a definition that's very commonly used for hope, right? Do you guys know the difference between common and normal in the way we view that? Common is what most people do. Normal is what we do. And we make that distinction in our minds because we can look out at the world and say, what these guys are doing is normal. It's normal. What teenagers are getting into today, it's just normal. We need to be abnormal. But no, we need to shift what normal looks like. And so we step away from that and we say, that's very common, right? The flu is common, but it's not allowed here. It's what's normal that matters. And so we make that distinction in our minds and we begin to move in that and it begins to shift things. And it begins to change things. And so this version of hope right here is, um, is this right here. You ready? I hope I win the lottery. If you play the lottery, then you say that. Some of you are like, I don't do that. I'm like, okay, if it reaches 300 million, I do it. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun to cut the che- church a check, $30 million. Woohoo! what are we going to do now? But um, <laughs> another one is this, you know. Georgia played a really big football game on December 2nd in Atlanta, the SEC championship against the juggernaut of Alabama, right? Nobody likes them. And um, that day I was saying, you know, people, I I was at Disney World. It was fun. Of course I was wearing my shirt, my Georgia shirt. And everybody goes, I hope you guys win today. I hope you guys win today because everybody hates Alabama. And, um, And then I was saying, yeah, I hope so too. Wishful thinking, right? We lost. (laughs) So that hope obviously didn't work. But so often we boil down hope to look like that. We boil down hope to look like wishful thinking. And it's crept into our minds. It's crept into the way that we do things. And so when we begin to proclaim something, it's like, man, I really hope this happens. What if it was like, I have a very strong desire for this to happen. I'm not telling you to change your language. I'm just telling asking you to check your mindset on the way that you view things. Because hope has been broken down to that. Hope has been broken down to wishful thinking rather than a heavenly principle that's built on the person of Jesus. And that's when things begin to shift. That's when things begin to shift. And so if I am to say, what is the reason for the hope that you have within? And you're like, well, Jesus came, he died, he saved me, I don't have to go to hell. That's a lot of times where it stops. And then what is it? Simply fire insurance sold to you by your local church. And that's what, not what we're going after. That is a huge part of it, right? That's part of the story, but it's not the entire story. It's not the entirety of what God has for us. It's not the entirety of what Jesus has for us. In the Bible, in the way that we view things, this is what hope is. You ready? It's going to be up here. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised and its strength is in his faithfulness. Isn't that good? Let's read that again, all out loud together. Are you ready? A one, a two, a one, two, three. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. The strength of that hope is not found in you. It's not found on how hard you're wishing for something to happen. It's built on the one who has defined what faithfulness is. It's built on the person of Jesus. And so this whole concept of hope, it really boils down to there. It's simply taking what God has promised you and saying, yes, God has promised me this and he is faithful. He is faithful to the end. 
and you begin to pull on that and now you're beginning to access what heavenly hope looks like. You're beginning to access what kingdom hope looks like. And that begins to shift things in the way that you view people. It begins to shift things in the way that you view in the world around you. It begins to shift things in here, right? This is where the biggest shift has to happen is within. Because when we begin to shift there is when we begin to see new things. When we begin to see things differently. When we begin to see the person of Jesus differently. I have a quote that I'm going to do by a guy named David McCasseland. That may not be his actual name, but how you pronounce it, but that's how we're pronouncing it today. So, Jesus came to turn our darkness into light. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus came to turn our darkness into light, to transform our despair into hope, and to save us from our sins. I love the way this is put, because this is what he did. This is what Jesus did. We're celebrating the season of Advent, the anticipation of the arrival of Jesus, right? Obviously, he's already came. We know that. But we still love to celebrate what he did. We love to celebrate that he stepped down out of heaven and into a manger, right? And the way that he did that. And Jesus came to turn our darkness into light and to transform our despair into hope and to save us from our sins. So many times people love to look at the world today and say there is no hope. They love to look at the world and point out all the problems, but it takes zero faith to do that, right? Zero faith to do that. Jesus came to take us from despair into hope. He came to take from darkness into light. And that's the hope that we get to celebrate. I have a good friend. His name is Albert Levings. And he is a, um, he's a good friend of mine. He's a part of the organization we're a part of called Family Discipleship Ministries. And I, um, he's a brilliant communicator, one day you guys may be blessed enough to hear him. <laughs> and so I asked him, I sent him a text message and said, hey, Albert, what do you think hope is? And this is what he said. Hope is knowing there is nothing left to prove. The tomb is empty and all that's left to do is enjoy. Albert Levings, Andy Steinspring. And um, <laughs> some of you will catch that reference. The rest of you, you can ask me about it later. And so I love the way he puts that. He's so good with words and so good with the way that he sees things. But hope is knowing there's nothing left to prove. The tomb is empty and we simply get to enjoy that. And when our hope is built on something like that, your hope cannot be shaken, right? Your joy can't be taken away. Hope and joy, they're like this. They're like this. When they're together, it's good. But when you begin to lose hope, you begin to lose joy. When you begin to lose joy, you begin to lose hope. But you forget, I have them all the time. They can't be taken away from me. Yeah. He also said this, it's an awareness that there are unseen realities around us at all times because there is a divine creator that is encouraging us and constantly strategizing ways to get us to our deepest joy. Isn't that good? He has good things in mind for you. He has good plans for you. God's purpose and what he wants to do is to take us to the next level and then take us to the next level, right? Glory to glory, to glory, to glory. It doesn't stop. And so in that, we begin to access what hope looks like. We're gonna read now a verse, a passage that's commonly read this time of year, Isaiah 9. However, typically when I've read it, it's always started in verse 6. But we're going to start in verse 1 today. So why? Because you should read the whole chapter, right? And I love this. This first verse right here just hits me in such a way when talking about hope, when talking about the coming of Jesus, because we have to take a step back and look at the people during this time, right? It wasn't exactly roses for them. They didn't have buildings they would come into and worship together all the time. You know, community looked different. Imagine the hope that they had to carry when they were walking through the desert, trying to get to the land that was promised to them. But they're sitting there and they're like, I just don't have it yet, but I still have hope for it. Or what about when they were in slavery in Egypt? The Israelites in slavery in Egypt, did they lose their hope? No. Why? Because they saw what was in front of them. They said, there is a king that is coming for us. And now we have the privilege of saying that king has came. 
And now he lives in us and he dwells among us. And so if we get that perspective into our minds of this is hope before Jesus, this is hope after Jesus, it begins to shift things, begins to move things. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Isn't that beautiful? There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Naphtali, I'll just sneeze, achoo. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Next verse. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have been multiplied. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in a battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here it is, you ready? They're setting the stage, right? All the way from there will be no more gloom no more anguish, for unto us a child is born. And how ridiculous is that? If you're the people of that time sitting there saying, I, I think this is what's going to happen, but you're telling me a baby's going to come and save me, right? This is what babies do. That's coming to save me, right? For unto us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isn't that beautiful? For to us, a child is born, a savior is given. He may be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. That's where hope is built. It's built on the person of Jesus. And if you step away from that, then you begin to miss it. It begins to become about you. It begins to become situational, right? Circumstantial. Does every single moment in your life always look like it is full of the most hope? There was a time when Alabama was driving down the field and hope was beginning to fail (laughs) in the wishful thinking sense. And so in that moment, I could sit there and go, well, hope is lost. Hope is gone. Because that's based on a circumstance. And I kind of did that. (laughs) I got up and went to the kitchen. (laughs) I was pleasant to be around. Um, When hope is circumstantial... When this thing is circumstantial rather than built on the principle of Jesus, it begins to be easily shaken. And I know a lot of you guys know this. I just want to remind you of it today. In this season that we're in, that hope is something more than the wishful thought. Hope is built on a foundation of Jesus Christ. And it goes nowhere without that. It's empty without that. It's void without that. But with it brings life. With it brings um, hope. (laughs) With it brings love. First Peter is where we're going to hang out for a few minutes. If you have your Bibles or your digital Bibles, you can go there, first Peter one, and um, we'll be there for just a second. It's an appropriate passage to talk about hope, right? The little heading is our living hope. Seems like a good place to go. So First Peter 1, 1, from Peter, an apostle of the Jesus, the anointed one, to the chosen ones who have been scattered abroad like seed into the nations, living as refugees to those living in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and throughout the Roman provinces of Asia and Bithynia, you are not forgotten. Verse 2, how beautiful a statement. You are not forgotten. This is in the Passion Translation. How many times have you felt forgotten? 
at work, at home, with your friends? How many times have you like heard, oh yeah, we were hanging out grilling wings yesterday. And then you're like, oh, I wasn't hanging out grilling wings. I was forgotten. Or there was a makeup party. Isn't that what girls do, makeup parties? (laughs) I know, I'm kidding. Don't throw things at me, please. Um, (laughs) There's times when we have felt forgotten by our friends. There's times when we have felt forgotten by the church. There's times when we have felt forgotten by family. There's times when we have felt forgotten by the people at work or when someone gets a promotion above you, you feel forgotten. However, Jesus, God, the word of God says, you are not forgotten. For you have been chosen and destined by the Father. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones and obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times over. Now we're gonna stay on this verse for a minute. (laughs) We're gonna break it down to three points because every good message has three points, right? I like to have subsets where you have three points, three points, three points, three points. Did you guys notice we ended at worship at like 11 today? I still have an hour to go. Aren't y'all excited? (laughs) Oh man. So we're going to start off with that simple fact that you have been chosen by Father God. How beautiful is that? You have been chosen by the very one that made life exist. You have been chosen by the very one that created the universe. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what situations you find yourself in, you have been chosen by the very one that created everything. And there's something beautiful about this whole fact of being chosen, right? My wife chose me. Luckiest man ever to be chosen by her to spend forever with her, right? Our children, we did not choose, however. They're amazing, and they're a gift from God, a total gift from him. And so there's a a family that we know that has um, a couple biological children, and then they have one child that they adopted. And adoption is such a beautiful thing. It's an incredible thing. I mean, it's What we're talking about right now is being adopted into the family of God and chosen by him. And so one day, the the child that was adopted was struggling. They're like, yeah, you know, they're your biological kids, and, you know, I'm not. And, they, you know, of course, they don't differentiate their love or anything. They treat them like their own child. And the dad looks at the the child that day, and he says this. He said, you know what? We went, God gave us your siblings, but we went out and we chose you. And that child knew there's a difference. I have been chosen by my father. He chose for me to be his daughter. And the same thing applies to us when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. He chose us. He chose us. He chose you individually, not as a group. (laughs) I just think that's such a beautiful um, thing to see and a a truth to grab hold of. In the old Hebrew culture, if they were to adopt someone into the family, they could never disown that person. They could never disown that child. Their own children they could disown, but that one they never could. And I think that that same thing applies with God, right? He doesn't sit there and say, ah, yeah, I chose you, but now I'm going to forget you. Bloop. Not today. No, he chose you and he chose you to be a part of his family and to be with him forever. And I think this just whole concept of being chosen is one that's forgotten a lot, right? Because it's, it feels very special to be chosen, right? On the playground growing up, we're playing kickball, we're playing basketball, you know, something like that. It feels good to be chosen, right? It feels good when that person looks at you and says, yes, I want you on my team. I want you on my team. I want you on my team. 
It, it hurts when you're not chosen. A lot of times we boil that down to, yeah, that's just kids on the playground. But we have feelings like that too, right? We have feelings like that too. And there's many times when we may not be able to put our finger on it, but we feel like we were not chosen. We feel as though we were not picked to be a part of something. We were not picked to have a certain gift in the church. Nah, ha, ha. That's funny. Yeah, we invite Holy Spirit in our life and he doesn't say, oh, you can have my foot. I'm gonna reserve the hand for Danielle. I'm gonna reserve the mouth for Andrew. No, he says, yeah, you have me. You have all of me inside of you. And so with this whole picture, God has chosen us. And here's the beautiful part, right? It's already determined. He will say yes to you. It's not that nervous moment of, you know, maybe not when you're proposing because most of the time you have a pretty good idea when you're going to propose that person's going to say yes. Um, I will say you're still extremely nervous when that happens. But like say, you know, you're in that first, asking someone out for a first date. Let's go with that, right? Someone you don't know very well. You don't exactly know how they're going to respond to you and you go, hey, would you like to go grab coffee? No. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> you can find yourself in those situations sometimes. Or maybe it's with a friend or maybe it's applying for a promotion at work or whatever it is. I know it's basic and I know it's a simple principle, but God has chosen you and he's continually choosing you every single day. Every day, God is choosing you. Every day, he's saying yes to you. When you wake up in the morning and you say, good morning, Jesus. Isn't that what you do when you roll out of bed? I am so happy right now. He's choosing you in that moment. He's choosing you in that time. He's choosing connection with you. He's choosing intimacy with you. And that's a good spot to find your hope in, right? The creator of everything is choosing you. Even when someone else doesn't, he is. The next part is um, the Holy Spirit sets you apart as holy. It's fun. Holy Spirit sets you apart as holy. And um, <laughs> like I said, we all have Holy Spirit within us, right? When we at that moment that we say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I give you everything that I have. I give you all of me and I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my days. At that moment, you have Holy Spirit inside of you. And at that moment, you are set apart as holy. You are set apart as different, Right? How many times have you walked into a place or have you been a part of a friend group or been a part of a office group? I've never worked in like a big, big office or anything, so I don't know what you call them. Um, a group of people within the office, coworkers, there it is, um, <laughs> with your coworkers and different things like that. And how often have they looked at you and said, there's something different about you? What is that? Oh, it's called the savior of the world that lives inside of me. That's what's different about me. Do you want that? And so we have this thing where we're set apart as holy. Now, when we step into who we are, you know, when we step into healthy identity in Jesus and what that looks like, then you become to set, be set apart even more because now you're accessing exactly who God created you to be. And so this is just such a, um, a it seems basic, but you've been set apart to be different. You've been set apart to be holy. And I think it's something that we forget sometimes is, oh, wait a minute. I've been put over here. I'm not here, right? There's a verse in Colossians, set your mind on things that are above and not on things of the earth. I used to think that, or not think that, I used to interpret that as, yes, this is a prayer. I must pray all the time because it was a, you know, it was a cycle. But I don't see anywhere in that verse that it says, set your mind on things that are above and come back down to earth. It says, set your mind on the things that are above in the heavenly places and leave it there because you're set apart as holy. You're set apart as different. It's such an awesome thing to think about. <laughs> I am different. Everybody say that. I am different. I am, different. I am, set, apart. I am set apart. Beautiful. Yes, you are. The last one, submitted to Jesus Christ. This is such an awesome um, this verse, this is all coming from verse two, by the way. And 
it's all building up to how we continually live in that hope that we want to access. So if you guys could in the back, please turn everything off except the sound. I know, there's going to be a couple lights on and that's just the North Star behind us. It's going to be dark in here and it's going to be okay. Nobody be afraid. It's not too dark. But um, imagine none of these other lights on (laughs) and how dark the room would be, right? This is what it looks like when we don't have Jesus in our life. This is what it looks like when we are hopeless. When we find ourselves in despair, when we find ourselves in those moments of saying, I don't know what to do. Or when you find yourself in a place where you're broken and saying, I'm just not sure anymore what to do. But there's two different parts to this. The first one is, this is where we live before we have Jesus, right? We live in this place that seems very dark. It seems like everything is lost. But then when you take a moment and you invite Jesus in, then there's light right? And that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes in and expels the darkness. And so now you can all see this candle, right? The darkness cannot put it out. The fact that it is very, imagine, it's black in this room and there's no other light around it. It's not going to put this light out because light expels darkness every single time. And that's what happens when Jesus steps in to our life, when Jesus steps into those moments, and this is where we access hope, is with this light right here that goes into every moment that we call dark, that goes into every moment where we are unsure, this is what happens. The moment we accept Jesus into our heart and ask him into our life, this is what happens. It lights up everything. It lights up everything. You can turn the lights back on. And so... The second part of this is we have Jesus in us, right? Once you accept Jesus into your life, you have him in you and you're able to take him wherever you go. But how often do you have areas that you don't let the light in? Or how often do you look at different areas in my life and say, that's helpless, that's hopeless. There's no hope for this. There's nothing there for this. Or maybe it's at a point where you sit there and you say, you don't even recognize that. You can't even put words to it. You just can feel this is not fullness. This is not life. This is not light. And it's because you haven't brought the light into that moment. And that's where hope does. It expels darkness. It comes in and it makes things different. Hope comes in and makes a difference in your life. It makes a difference in what you go after. It makes a difference in the way that you see things. And that's what Jesus does for us every single time. It's why he came. You know God sent his son with the end in mind, right? Yes. It wasn't an accident like, hey, go down there and play with them. Oh, I think we'll do this. He came to die. And came to die that we would live in the fullest, right? And so often we can get so somber in that thought. I'm not saying he came to die so that we could live. No, but there's something so beautiful about it. There's something so beautiful about it. He came so that we could have hope. And inviting hope into every area of our life is something that we must do. We have to look and examine ourselves, right? Examine ourselves and say, are there areas in my life that I'm lacking hope? Are there areas in my life that I'm not fully accessing all that God has for me? Are there areas in my thought life? Are there areas in the way that I'm thinking that I have not brought hope in? Because I feel like we do that a lot. I do that a lot. I'll find myself going down a rabbit trail that I don't need to be going down. And then I'm like, oh wait, that's not hope. That's death, right? It comes and it steals joy. It takes away from life and it takes away from living it to the fullest, which is what he has for us. And so we have to invite hope into every area of our life. There's a uh, spoken word that I love that we're gonna play for you guys in just a second. It is what it is. It's words that are being spoken in a rhythmic way usually. And um, 
it's a guy that just talks about hope and the different definitions of hope. And so um, they're going to play that video for us. And then um, I got a couple things after that. spoke his imagination to a world that only knew void and translated it into everything that is here now. That hope has come again. In the midst of despair and nightmares, God's dream for our lives has come true. This hope that turns a trough into a throne as creator steps into creation and the ruler becomes a servant. This hope that makes a map out of stars leads wise men to the place where God is doing the miraculous, this hope that declares that distance has become near, but the Lord's promise is finally here at last, Emmanuel. With man, he dwells in and among us, just as God had always dreamed it would be since the beginning. In the beginning, when he chose to love us even after we chose another, he promised that a chosen one would come and choose to take on flesh, choose to take on death and lay down his life to pay the price for all of our poor choices. Like where we place our hopes. Mine are often more Christmas than they are Advent. More focused on stuff or things than it is nativity. We place our longings in lifeless objects and hope that wrapping them in our affection will somehow turn them to gifts. We've gotten too good at decorating dead trees, but our God has sown a seed in the hopes that we might be rooted in his dream for our lives. This hope that turns shepherds into watchmen, that those who have gone unnoticed be the first to bear witness to the good news. This hope that turns doubters into dreamers. For just as God's spirit had moved in Mary's womb and also in the canvas of Joseph's mind, our God has coated many colors on his paintbrush to paint his imagination on the backs of our eyelids. See now. That hope has come again. That God's dream has once more invaded our sleeping world to transform our unexpecting hearts through the miracle of an expecting virgin. How else could we hope for tomorrow unless a son be given to us? And he has. Hope has come and hope is yet coming. May we all prepare to receive the coming of what we truly need. May we prepare to receive this dream and the hope that it brings. May we prepare to receive the coming of our King, the coming of our hope. Isn't that good? I love just the way he puts words to that and puts words to what hope looks like and ways that we can misconstrue what it actually is. And I woke up last night due to a baby talking to me. Um, She's learning how to sleep. That's a testimony. It's it's good. But I was up, it was 2.38 a.m. And... um, I was sitting up and I took the monitor out because we're working on teaching her how to go back to sleep. And she did in like three minutes, which is major testimony. <laughs> um, and, but I was sitting out there and I was reminded of a friend of mine. And this isn't always something that's exciting to talk about, but I had a friend and his name was Stuart Tinch. And he, um, I met him when I was in the first grade, I believe it was. His mom was the art teacher at our school, and um, it was fun. He had a house on Lake Burton, which is amazing if you you don't know, but Lake Burton in Georgia is like one of the lakes. Nick Saban has a place on it, head coach, football Alabama. It's really small. But anyways, this friend of mine, I grew up with him. We went to um, elementary school together. We we were in middle school together. We were in high school together. We were in college together, and didn't live in the same, like, dorm room dorm room. We had four bedroom, four bathroom apartments, so rough dorm life. But um, he was in the one next to us, but he kept all his food in ours, and he was in our room all the time and all this stuff. But he had Jesus in his heart. He loved Jesus with every, not with everything that he had, but he loved Jesus. He really loved him. You know, I know because I sat in the back of our youth room one night when I was a, a teenager with him, and I said, do you even know Jesus? And he said, yeah, I do. I just, he said, I don't know why. I just don't go to him. 
Instead, he was going to partying. He was going to all those different things. And, and whatever happened, he had just totally lost hope. Not the scholarship, but hope, right? And he just lived in this place of despair and everything was just against him. And one night he was at a party and he, um, he, he tried to ask this girl out and she said no and he was hopeless and he went to his car and ended his life. And that's what it looks like when we're not accessing all that Jesus has for us is darkness and despair. When it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when it seems like there's no hope that we can access, right? He felt like nobody loved him. He felt like nobody cared. He stood up and spoke to a thousand people at his funeral. Hope is a person. And when we forget that and we make it circumstantial, it's not fun. It's not fun. But when we say yes to Jesus and we invite him into every area of our life, even the ones that are hard, hope begins to be something that we can take hold of. Hope is something that we have. It's not based on an emotion. It's based on a person. And it's something that we get to carry with us and we get to give to others. And that's what's so awesome about Jesus and what he does for us. Romans 5 says this. And I think it really sums up the whole Advent season, everything that we talk about, right? Hope and joy and peace and love. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. We don't have to strive to be perfect. We strive to be in relationship intimately with the Father. And from that comes character. From that comes knowing how he wants us to live. Right? It's not, I have to do these things, but I get to please I get to be a part of something bigger than myself. Our faith, verse two, guarantees us, guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. But that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our pressures will develop into patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. What is proven character? It's Jesus, right? And when that's the basis, when that's what we go back to, it leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Hope is a person that stepped down out of heaven. It's something that we have continual access to. And we get to invite hope We get to invite Jesus into every moment of our lives. We get to invite him into those family conversations that you're gonna be having over the next couple days, right? Everybody's so thrilled about those all the time. But (laughs) hope is something that we get to release to other people. Hope is something that we get to also pull on and say, yes, I have hope. The world tried to steal it, right? In an election a couple of years ago, one of the mantras was hope with a picture of someone other than Jesus on it. And it's funny a lot of times how counterfeit stuff is trying to take away from what is actually reality and where it's actually found and where true power is found in that. And so as we're in this season of Christmas, we're in this season of celebrating Jesus, it's important that we celebrate the hope that Jesus brought also. And so I'm going to have Danielle and Blake are going to come back up, just the two of them, and they're going to lead us in that song, A Living Hope, again. I'm going to blow out the candle, but this is just for safety reasons. (laughs) And um, yes, so thank you. All my wishes will come true now. One candle. But they're going to lead us in that song that we sang earlier, um, A Living Hope. And I want us to do a couple different things during this song this morning. Um, I want them to go back into it because I think it's really good. I think 
accessing and talking about our living hope is something that can be a good reminder for us of, yes, actually, I do have hope. (laughs) Actually, in all these moments I thought I didn't, I do. And it's something that I get to go back to and something that I get to access. And, oh, gosh, that's heavy. And so as we do this this morning, I'm going to read the rest of that first Peter to us as they're getting set up. I just want us to reflect on what this looks like, okay? You are not forgotten. It's verse, I mean, going back to verse two. You are not forgotten for you have been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones, obedient followers of Jesus Christ who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. May God's delightful grace and peace cascade over you many times. Celebrate with praises the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish never be defiled and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. And that Charlie Brown is the story of hope that Jesus brings to us. It's the story of hope. It's what we have access to. It's not wishful thinking, it's a person. And so they're gonna lead us this morning in this song. And I'm gonna invite our ministry, couple members of our ministry team just to stand on either side, please. And I want just just to take a moment and reflect in our lives and say, Jesus, where are some areas that I have not invited hope into? Or where are areas in my life that I have felt have been in despair, that I have felt have been in gloom, that I have felt have been in agony? And then ask him into it. It's that simple. Jesus, come, bring the light. And when he does, it expels the darkness, right? And then also, we're just gonna have the opportunity just to celebrate the hope that we have. Celebrate the living hope that we have within us and celebrate that fact that Jesus did this for us and now we have this hope. And it's just something that we get to enjoy and we get to bask in and we get to rest in, right? And then the other thing is, if you've never met the person of Jesus, I have friends up here that would love to introduce you to the living hope. And that's true and lasting forever and ever. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then they're gonna lead us in this song and then I'll come back up and close us in a minute. So everybody stand up with me. Yeah, Jesus, we thank you that you're our living hope. We thank you that hope has a name and it's Jesus. We thank you that in this season of celebrating you, that we get to look and say, I have hope because I have you. Because you stepped down out of heaven, you brought hope that lasts for eternity. You, have, you brought hope that cascades over every situation, over every circumstance that I find myself in. Jesus, you are our one true living hope. We thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Acts 2 podcast. Love God, love people and live life.